are you expecting? Expecting Miracles is the name of the title of the series that we've been preaching. And we have been looking at um, faith and how faith comes and our part of that. We've, we've looked at a number of different things that work in that. Last week we looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and we asked for that. A, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in us and on us. In fact, I encourage you to make that a daily habit. You know, when I was first filled with the Spirit, I, before that, I didn't know what to call it, right? And um, several years prior to that, I'd had an encounter with the Lord that really radically changed my life. I, I went from the Lord being fire insurance for me to actually being my master, right? And so in that process, I got really, really hungry for God and I began to daily, I'd probably say this 50 times a day, I would say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit, give me a double portion. A silly thing to say, really. A double portion that's not even possible. A double portion of the Lord's Spirit, right? Because He's all, He is all in all, right? But I knew somewhere in the Bible, someone had asked for a double portion of someone's spirit, so I wanted that, right? And uh, it was Elisha asking for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. But needless to say, some, I'm so glad that the Lord um, isn't bound by our lack or our ignorance sometimes, right? I mean, we can bind the Lord, but usually it's not from ignorance. Usually it's from other hard-headedness, right? So this particular time, I, I, would, I would ask that daily. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Give me a double portion of your Holy Spirit. Now, I'd never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sure, I mean, I'd read that that happened in Acts, but I thought that was just for the beginning of things and didn't know that that was still a thing today. But all I knew is I wanted more of God and I wanted more of His Spirit. And so as I prayed that, fast forward to several years later when we encountered some difficult times in our lives and it really turned, we, because of it, we turned to seek the Lord in ways that were fresh and new that we hadn't done before. And the Lord sends someone to me to explain and to show me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so when I stepped into that and I said, okay, I want it. If it's the Lord, I want all of it. Lay your hands on me and I'm going to receive. And, and he laid hands on me and they prayed. And I said, I believe I receive. And I didn't feel anything, okay? And they went home. The next day I go to work and I'm just believing that I'm full of the Holy Spirit because we ask and he promised that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he'll give it to anyone who asks. So I've asked, so I have it, I'm full. The next day um, is when I was at work and, and I was I had actually a banker call me. We were having like financial collapse, okay? Financial collapse 101 is what we were going through and um, in, at that time, right when we got spirit-filled. So uh, the banker calls me and she wanted to know how I was going to solve one of the many problems that we were facing. And um, I said, well, just hold on a minute. And I went into the bathroom by myself in the house we were working in. It was new construction. And I just asked the Lord, Lord, what should I do? What should I say? How should I handle this? And the Lord gave me wisdom right in that moment. I knew what to say. So I got on the, so I, I had her on hold. And so I get back on the phone and I, and I say what the Lord gave me to say. And she was happy about it. And she hangs up. And I am now in the, in the process. I had a nail gun in my hands and it had jammed. And I was trying to solve that problem when the banker called. So, so now I'm back to solving the nail gun problem, right? And I'm trying fiddling with the thing, trying to figure it out. And I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude that the Lord 
is faithful to lead us in the problems we face. Here, I just faced the problem. I asked the Lord. He gave me direction on how to, how to answer it. And so I'm just going, thank you, Lord. You're so good. I'm so glad we can ask you. I'm just saying this quietly under my breath. Like, if you'd have stood right beside me, I don't know if you'd have even heard it because it's more of a whisper than anything. And um, all of a sudden, I, I was praying in tongues. And just it was just flowing out of me. I'm praying in tongues. Wow, that's awesome. You know, I'd never done that before. I'd asked the Lord for it. And so that night when I went home, <clears throat> I waited until Jen went to go shower because I didn't want her to hear me because it sounds silly, you know. I thought so. It doesn't, but I thought so. And, um, you know, who, who, I just, you know, who wants to gibberish like a baby? You know, I just, I didn't want anyone to hear me. So I wait until she's deep in the shower and she's not going to be able to hear me. And I go to my office and I shut the door and I say, Lord, I want more of that. And I just lifted my hands and began to pray and praise the Lord. And it came like a river. And then with it came a vision. And He showed me a vision of, of some things that I had been facing and how to deal with them and that the time for me to step into the call of God in my life was at hand and I needed to be prepared for it. Well, all of that's great and good, but the reason I told you all of that was to tell you this. The thing that was probably the most surprising to me in all of that was that the praying in tongues part was so familiar to me like it's not something I couldn't have done before it was like how I mean it's like putting on your favorite old pair of jeans right you know the feeling you know you know these jeans right and so as I as that river flows out of me I was just shocked that well, I could have been doing this all along. See, going back several years earlier when I'd been asking for the Lord to fill me, He was there. I just didn't know how to release that and what that was. You know, all I needed to do was let it out. Because sometimes we look at, we think that the Lord's going to take over and do things. He's just going to take us over and we're going to start praying in tongues. Or He's going to just take over and we're going to be not able to even control it, give a word of wisdom or a, or a prophecy or a tongues to the congregation or, or the interpretation even, right? It was just, but the Lord's not going to take over. He doesn't have robots. He has people. And as in everything, He puts it in your spirit and then you have to decide whether to release it or not. Do I step out in faith with that or don't I? I mean, I could have, I could have went home and went to my office and said, I'm not going to pray in tongues because I, want, I don't want to be fake. I want you to make me do it, Lord. And he wouldn't have. I had to step into it and yield and, and give what I had. And what did Jesus say? That if you're faithful with what you have, you'll get even more, right? And... Um, <clears throat> I remember at one point even um, saying, Lord, I, I think these tongues, the ones that I'm praying, sound really weird. I'd like to have a better sounding one. And I mean, within 24 hours of that prayer, I was in the middle of praying in tongues and it changed and it never went back the way it was. It was just the Lord did something. So, But I still had to release it. See, I can still turn it on, shut it off. Now, we don't... We don't walk in the gifts of the Spirit, right? Which whether that be a tongue to people or a working of a miracle or special faith or a word of knowledge, those aren't things that we turn on and shut off. 
Those are things that the Lord gives as He wills, but you still have to choose whether to release it or not. Are you with me? So don't look, because last week we had a tongue, an interpretation. Don't look for the Lord to take over. You have to yield. And if you get something, you know, and it's in the middle of the message, um, raise your hand. And if I answer your I mean, I have the Lord in me too, right? And as the moderator of the meeting, as the pastor, um, the Lord will draw my attention to it if, if He wants it done right then. Maybe you say, well, I feel like I have a tongue. Or I feel like the Lord has given me, given me something to say. And I'll follow the Lord on the inside and either we'll do it right then or we'll, we'll wait until later at another appropriate time um, in the service. Sometimes the Lord will interrupt us, but that's not usually His mode of operation. Right? And so, as I realized that, oh, the Spirit of God in me, I could have been praying in tongues all along. I just didn't, I didn't, wasn't educated enough. I was ignorant of what I had available to me. So I wasn't releasing it. So I often say in 2009 is when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that's correct. Although, I'd asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit several years earlier, and, and I had it. I just didn't know about a lot of things and what to do and how to handle it and how to release it and how to walk in it. And so we bumbled along the best we could until He came and helped us. Helped us. Alright, so that is, we'll just package that right onto the back of last week. And um, talking about the baptism and then flowing with the gifts of the Spirit. You know, another really good time to uh, a time that is would be typical. Now, the Lord sometimes doesn't do typical things. But where you would get something would be in worship. When we're ministering to the Lord. And we're worshiping the Lord. And the Lord gives you something. And if you feel like it's something for an individual, well, you can, you can give it to the individual. But if it's something to the body, come up here get, and, and let me know. And we will... I'll follow the Lord and we'll get it in at the right time and, and in the right way. And sometimes people have come to me and said, I feel like the Lord's given me something and the Lord didn't give me release. It doesn't mean it wasn't from the Lord. It just means it wasn't for either this day or, or for the people as a whole. Maybe it was for an individual that the Lord wouldn't give me the release to let them deliver that word. Right? Just because we get something from the Lord doesn't mean that we are uh, infallible in our interpretation of it. Or our understanding of it. I didn't plan on saying any of this tonight, just so you know. So the Lord wants to teach us on this. So when we, when we, uh, you know, Paul said it this way. He said, "Now, right now, we see through a glass darkly, and the day is going to come where it's face to face and it's crystal clear." But so we do the best we can. So if Gene gives the tongue and and Karen gives the interpretation, or, any, or Elizabeth gives the interpretation, because it's not just one of the pastors. You understand? Anybody. This is for anybody. And if Elizabeth gives the interpretation, and um, what if it's not right? What if it's not accurate? What if it's just in part, as though seeing through a tinted glass? Does that mean that we just should shut it down and we just don't have any of it now? No. It's, she delivers what she has, and then we follow on the inside if I'm the one up here standing here and was the one moderating, then I'm going to seek the Lord and... Was that all of it, Lord? Or if that didn't seem right, I'll say so. But the last thing we're going to do is we're not going to shoot her for stepping out in faith, right? And being willing to step out of the boat. We're going to be grateful and say, good job. 
Because we'd much rather have you get out of the boat and end up swimming a little bit than be too afraid to just sit in there and be full of fear. So don't be afraid to miss it in this house. Maybe you give something, the Lord genuinely gives you something, but um, maybe you delivered it at the wrong time. Well, you know what? Use the opportunity to say, okay, next time, I'm going to be more sensitive to your timing, Lord. Right? So let's not be afraid. We're not going to beat each other up if we miss it. You know, the Word says if someone gives a tongue, just maybe two or three at the most, is how it says it, and then someone should interpret. So if someone gives a tongue, but no interpretation comes, and we don't go on with three more tongues. No, we stop, we would wait, and if no interpretation comes, okay, fine, they'll just they'll pray on it. Speak to the Lord and to themselves is what the Word says, right? So, trying to help you so that you can yield to the Lord and not have fear, not be afraid, and we'll say, well, what's appropriate, or when do I, or when don't I? Is that helpful? Yes. All right, very good. Go with me over to Mark chapter 9. Mark 9 and verse 14. And we're talking about expecting miracles. And in particular, we want to look at how many of you have ever stood in faith for something or what you believe to be faith. Faith to the best of your ability. And it didn't happen. I mean, I can put all my arms and legs up, right? And so, everything that I say tonight, I say first to me, alright? Because I've done it, I'm, I'm walking through some of it right now. And then there's other things where we've been standing in faith, and we're going to refuse to back down. You know, where there's life, there's hope, Scripture says. So we just continue to stay with the Lord on these things until we see the deliverance come all the way into the natural, like what we believe for but then there's some things where we've stood in faith for something and then the thing passed and it, it's in the past. We can't undo it. We can't go back. You know, Maybe you have a loved one that was sick and then passed away. And you were standing in faith for their healing. But now, they've been buried and in the grave for 10 years already. We're not going to go back and undo that, right? So we'll look at it. We'll ask the Lord some questions to help us learn how we could do things differently. But I don't speak to you as someone who... Um, hasn't experienced those things. I speak to you as someone that has experienced those things, but I've also experienced the miraculous. And I've seen the deliverances, and I've seen the healings, and, and I've seen the financial miracles, and, and you name it. And so, I know the times that it worked. I could tell you why it worked. I can't always tell you why it didn't work. But we're going to look at a case study in the Word, and we're going to look at why didn't it work. I mean, in the end, it worked, but for a while, it wasn't working. So look here in Mark chapter 9 and in verse 14. When they came, okay, so this was, um, the background is, is Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was transfigured in front of the disciples. He, he brings, or uh, in front of three of them, and he brings them with him. And so they come down off the mountain and they approach what they see is this crowd of people and the scribes are arguing with the disciples. They're disputing with them. And so that's the scene they walk up on. So <clears throat> just put yourself in, in Jesus' shoes and in the disciples that were with Him's shoes. And, um, and you see off in the, in the distance at the mall, 
you're walking through the mall, and you see there's a group of CWI people, and they're having like this argument with someone else, with this other group of people. And you're wondering immediately, what's going on, right? It's not just, just strangers. These are your people. <laughs> okay, so verse 14, they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and scribes disputing with them. So they're arguing. They're arguing about something. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed. You know, you ever talk about somebody and then they show up right in the middle of talking about him? Like, wow. And usually people say something horrible like, speak of the devil. But don't say that. Speak of the Lord. Here they come. It says, so when the whole crowd sees him, they're amazed and ran to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? So he's asking the disciples, what are you arguing with them about? And notice, there's nothing but crickets. The disciples don't answer. Well, because think about this. The disciples ought to be able to deal with the problem, and they didn't deal with it. They failed in it, and so, you tell it. No, I'm not going to tell him. You tell it. I mean, you were standing in front of the group when he commissioned us to deal with this kind of thing. You talk to him. No, they're not talking, man. They're going to be quiet. They don't want to own... I mean, put yourself in their shoes. I mean, if we go back, um, and you would go back to like Mark 6, or in... Uh, in fact, let's go there. Let's go over to Luke 9. Let's go to Luke instead of Mark. We're going to come right back here, so hold the finger here in Mark 9. But in Luke 9 is the, the same account. And But in the beginning of the chapter of Luke 9, we see what happened first. It says, summoning the twelve in verse 1, He gave them power. Everyone say power. power. He gave them power and authority. Let's say authority. authority. So Jesus calls the twelve disciples and He gives them power and authority over all demons. So is there any devil that she's left out of this equation? No. no. Every demon is included in all power and all authority over all demons. And he wasn't done to heal diseases. In fact, in Mark, Mark and in Matthew, it says every disease. So they have power, they have authority over every devil, over every disease that there is. Alright? And so then he, in verse 2, he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So what's their marching orders? Preach the good news and heal diseases. Heal diseases. Preach the good and preach and heal. Preach and heal. This was what they were to be known for. Well, if you look on down into a chapter 10. Now. Well, actually, in, in chapter 9 is where you see verses 37 through 42 is where um, they were they were attempted to cast the devil out of this little boy, the story we're reading in Mark 9. Okay, now go to chapter 10 in Luke, the next chapter. And so now, the Lord, after these events, it says He appointed 72 others. So not, not just the 12 anymore, now there's 72 others. And they're supposed to go out and do the same thing. And if you look in verse 17, it says the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name. So now come back to Mark 9, and you'll see why these disciples probably didn't want to just step up and own it right away about well, why did we fail? Well, Because the Lord had given them authority and power over every demon. It wasn't just the easy demons. 
or the wimpy ones, all of them. And so here, now there's an argument breaking out. What are you guys arguing about? And they don't answer. But, verse 17, back in Mark 9, someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, or to the disciples, right? But that, see, that's, that's the thing. When you do something in Jesus' name, you represent him. So when someone comes to you for you to help them, that's them coming to the Lord. Just like coming to the disciples was coming to Jesus. So now, this, this father, he says, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. <clears throat> so this father, apparent, apparently they had been going around casting out devils and healing the sick, and people heard about it. So this father brings his child to them thinking that they can help him. Alright? That's his expectation. They can help me. So that's why he shows up. That's why he brings them. And notice too that it says a spirit was doing this to this little boy. A spirit was making him unable to speak. Um, some thought, you know, some, some translations call it epilepsy, um, but he has some sort of, it, it looks like epilepsy and seizures and all these things happen. Throws him down, foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, and um, just all this ugly stuff. And so, one of the other, um, the other accounts of this in one of the other Gospels says that this thing would try to destroy him. Would try to throw him into fire if they weren't watching, or throw him into water. Well, when you're stiff and rigid and having a seizure, you don't swim well. Right? So that means you would drown. And so they're having to constantly probably watch this boy to keep him alive. Because you never know when this thing's gonna like he's gonna go into one of these fits and and wind up burned or or drowned or something. And so this has been something that has worn on this father for a very long time. And just look at this: a spirit did this to him. Do spirits still do that sort of things to people, or have we somehow developed out of that? No, we haven't. We just call them all kinds of names today, right? We give them names like epilepsy or you name it. Today, if this were happening today, they would have you know, diagnosed this boy and probably given him a whole bunch of medications and trying to treat the symptom. Never realizing that there is a spirit behind it. See, not every sickness is put on you by a spirit. But this one was for this boy. And we don't, I mean, today, that's still possible today. We, we just simply have taken science and we try, we think because, because we can track the results in a person's body, we think that it's all natural. It's only natural. But that's not the case. You know, a spirit can, can cause your body to malfunction to where you can track it. And you can say, oh, well, this here's out of balance and this isn't working right, and so this is causing this thing to show up in your body. Well, it might just be a product of your environment and, and the things you eat or don't eat or whatever, right? Things you've breathed or chemicals, whatever. It could be a product of your environment, or it might be that a devil is simply oppressing your body and causing it to malfunction in these ways. And so, let's not be surprised when... The Lord quickens you on the inside about a sickness to deal with a spirit. They're not all spirits. Some are just sicknesses. 
In verse uh, 19, actually, I'm not done there talking about spirits doing these things. Remember in, in Luke 13 where the woman that had the spirit of infirmity, the spirit of disability is what that word is. There was a spirit that made her disabled for years. And Jesus mentioned this. He said this spirit, and then He even said Satan has bound this woman. He was the one that was behind it. And shouldn't she be loosed? And so He sets her free. So not every time Jesus healed someone did He have to deal with a spirit. But there were occasions where He did have to. Alright, let's look in verse 19. So the disciples couldn't. Actually, we're, well, let's, let's look more at 18. So the disciples, that means they tried to deal with this devil. It means they attempted to, but they could not. It means they commanded that thing to leave, and the boy's still in a fit. It means they spoke to it, they spit, they yelled, they did everything they knew to do. Because we don't want to have to go back to Jesus and explain, I don't know, it's not working. They did everything they knew to do, and it didn't work. And so now the scribes, the religious people that don't believe in this kind of thing, or don't believe that it's always God's will for this kind of thing to be delivered, they show up and start to ask questions and and have an argument with them. Well, see, uh, a lot of you have probably had this kind of conversation with somebody who says, well, you know, it just wasn't the Lord's time to heal them. Or maybe, maybe, you know, someone... You were praying for them to be healed and they died. And then, then those people go, well, not the dead people, but the other people, the people around them that don't believe in healing like you and I do. Maybe they're saying something like, well, it just wasn't God's will to heal them. Or, you know, um, I don't know. God works in mysterious ways. Or they'll try to make themselves feel better and they'll say, well, the Lord, the Lord healed them and took them to heaven where there's no sickness. No, they died. But praise the Lord, they're in heaven where there's no sickness. But they weren't healed. And why? Why aren't they healed? Well, I suppose that's what they were arguing about. And some saying one thing, some the others. The disciples are saying, no, no, the Lord said that we can, we can cast all of them out. Yeah, but it's not His will to cast this one out because clearly it's not working. No, but He said, and so back and forth they go. So now the father, he's just you know caught in the middle of all of this. And all he wants is to see his little one relieved of this horrible affliction. And in verse 19, Jesus replied to them, once this answer came to him about what they were arguing about, he replied, you faithless generation, or you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. You know, the anointing, the anointing of God will often cause devils to expose themselves. Because they get really nervous and afraid once they come. Because what does the anointing do? What does Scripture say that the anointing does? It breaks the yoke. It breaks the bondage. And so when they see it coming and they go, oh, 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 and they throw a fit, right? And so that's what happens here. He sees Jesus and, and um, goes into convulsions. So in verse 21, Jesus asks a question. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. 
from childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Why does the Father use the word if you can? If you can do anything for us. Because see, He came to the disciples and they have a reputation of delivering people, but they weren't able to, so now He's beginning to doubt whether this one can be dealt with. Maybe this is one of those uncurable, uncastable devils. Maybe this one here can't be dealt Maybe this one's too big. Maybe there isn't a way. So he's beginning to question it. The mistake he's making is he's looking at his circumstances rather than at the truth and promise of the Lord. But there was really good news here. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible. Does that leave anything out? I mean, that is like the biggest mouthful in the world. Everything is possible. To who? To the one who cries and whines and begs and prays for 40 days and nights. No. For the one who deserves it. Oh, no, okay. For the one who has lived holy and righteous and hasn't messed up in quite a long time. But how many times do we, we put that on ourselves? Everything is possible. To, I mean, have you ever been standing in faith for something and then you blow it? Oh man, I just undid everything. I'm going to start over. No, stop it. Jesus said, if you can, and He puts it right back on Him. You see, this guy was putting it on Jesus. If you can, do anything for us. And Jesus says, if you can, well, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cries out. I mean, he's desperate. He cries out. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. These words are, are very, very comforting because of what happens next. He recognizes that, he, yeah, I believe. I'm also dealing with this other stuff. This unbelief. Help me, Lord. Is the Lord interested in helping you? You know, when Peter went out for his walk and shortly afterwards was swimming, and then the Lord comes to him and grabs him by the hand. Why do you grab someone by the hand? To help them. And so, when you grab a drowning person by the hand, do you just leave them under the water? No. No. You bring them out of the water. Right? And so... Was he having some serious doubts at that moment? Yeah. He's swimming. He's bubbling. And yet Jesus rescues him in spite of it. Because he cried out. He says, help me, Lord. And the Lord helps him. And I think they walk back to the boat together. Everything is possible. Is it possible? Is, it, is your circumstance, is it possible that your debt could be paid? Is it possible that the financial miracle that you need could happen? Is it possible that the healing you need in your body, you haven't heard of anyone else being healed of this, but is it possible that could be healed? Absolutely. Is it possible that you could see miracles and even people raised from the dead? Yes, absolutely. 
Yes, it's possible because Jesus is not a liar and He said everything is possible to you disciple who believes. That was a trick statement. He didn't say you disciple. I mean, you are disciples. So I can see why you mishear me. But to you, 12 disciples, there we go. Everything is possible to you 12 disciples who believe. No, that's not what He said. Now He said everything is possible to the one. Do we have any of those ones in here? Yeah, whosoever will qualifies. Whosoever. Everything. Someone say everything. Everything. Is possible for me. Because I believe. So this father, he's like, man... I believe, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, you can have faith in your spirit, in your heart, but doubts in your head. And if you're more logic-led than spirit-led, you're in trouble. In those moments are where you need to stop going with logic because logic doesn't do miracles. And you have to get over into your spirit where you're being spirit-led and where faith comes from. You see, faith is of the spirit. Faith is a spiritual thing. It's not a formula. Alright, verse 24. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, He rebuked the unclean spirit. Now, this is something that all devils have in common. All of them. They're all unclean. They're all unclean. And you don't have to know what the devil's name is. We don't have any record here that Jesus was like, oh, what's your name? And Jesus, as a general rule, did not have conversations with devils except get out. So he rebukes the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. This is also an interesting thing. Jesus didn't usually... Give that command and never enter him again. In fact, at one point, he cautioned people. He said that when the devil leaves, that he'll come back. And if you don't fill the house with the right thing, the Spirit of God, that the devil will come back and he'll bring seven worse than himself. And that person's state will be worse at the end than it was in the beginning. So he cautions about that. But in this particular case, because it's a child, You know, children can't stand in authority for themselves like what an adult can. He tells that thing, you leave and you don't even come back. Verse 26, then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse so that many said he's dead. And maybe he was. But Jesus, right? One of those but gods. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up. And he stood up. (laughs) Is it possible? Go over to Matthew 17. It's the same account. And um, put it up in the New King James if you're putting it up on the screen. Matthew 17 and verse 19. We'll look at these verses in the uh, New King James. And in where we just were at in, in Mark 9, the disciples then come in the next verse and they ask, why they couldn't cast this spirit out. Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus says to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Well, in Matthew's account of this, he gives us a little more detail about that conversation and about what Jesus said in that conversation about the why. And so that's what we're looking at. In verse 19 of Matthew 17, 
Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? Why? Isn't that so often the question when things don't go like we thought they would or should? Why? Why? And that's not a wrong question if you're willing to hear the truth. But so many times people ask that question, but they're not willing to hear the hard truth. Why? Why could we not cast it out? Let's look at verse 20. Jesus said to them, here's His answer, because of your unbelief, or little faith, is how a lot of the translations say it. Because of your little faith. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, in other words, really tiny faith. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Why didn't it work? Because of their, un- because of their little faith. Because of their unbelief. Notice that Jesus says to them, if you have faith. If. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Did you know that faith is measurable? You can measure it. All through Scripture, faith is referred to in all kinds of different levels. Like, I'll just give you a quick rundown of some of the ways faith is referred to. Because faith is measurable. Jesus, He, he one time said, you have no faith. So that's, that's none, right? That's, that's one form of measurement. No faith. Paul talked about weak faith in Romans. In in 1 Timothy, he talked about shipwrecked faith. That means a faith that was, but now is not. Something happened that ruined their faith. And see, if you get caught up in the whys, and you're never able to move on, you wind up with shipwrecked faith. See, that's what happened to me. When I was in, uh, let's see, 2003, and when I started praying and saying, Lord, fill me with Your Spirit, I want a double portion. When I started praying that, and the Spirit of the Lord came on me, and I became so hungry for the Word, something I hadn't ever experienced before, I would look forward all day to come home and to read the Word. And I would sit down at night, and that's what I would do the whole evening. Instead of being on my computer and playing games like I would have used to, I was reading the Word. And then I would, in the morning, get up and I would go to work and all day I would look forward to coming home so that I can spend time in the Word again. And I was hungry for the Lord. And in that process of time, the Lord gave me a vision. It was my first vision. And I saw, I saw the windows of heaven and the Lord talked to me about my, the calling. The call of God on my life. and What I was supposed to do. And what it would look like. And fast forward several months and... and our Mennonite church that we were a part of decided they wanted to have an ordination. And I strongly felt, I mean, I was certain that the Lord was telling me it is not the time for an ordination. Not now. It needs to happen later. Not now. And so, so I went to the ministers. I went to the different ones. We were actually a, uh, we were a group of people, Mennonite church that had been planted but with no ministers. And so each Sunday we would take turns, we'd get up and one Sunday one guy would preach and then the next guy, the next Sunday another person would give a topic, preach, speak. And, and so we would just take turns this way. And so does a church need a pastor? Yes. But there were some things that I believe were out of order, as you'll see later in the story. 
that were out of order and those things needed to be dealt with before we made that step. There was, there was bad blood between this group of people and the group of people they'd left, for, for starters, and the ministers over there. And so, um, so I went and I said, no, I, I don't believe we should be doing this right now. This is not what I'm getting from the Lord. And the minister that we had asked to help us out of Georgia, his words to me were, whether it is or not, we're going to go ahead with it. Yikes. And so uh, we went ahead with it. And so as we were leading up to the week of that or the week before it, Jen and I were praying and the way that we would did the ordination then is very different than we do it now um, in, in this body of believers. But in that one, they would, uh, they would have a service, they would teach on it on a Sunday morning and then everyone would file like through the little room up here and uh, to a group of preachers and you would give a name that you believe the Lord was giving to you to be the next minister. And so they would count up the names and you know they would have predetermined that anyone with more than five votes will be in the lot. Okay? And so then they would you know, come out and they would say, okay, we have uh, two or three people that have received the proper amount of votes that are going to be in the lot. And then that evening you would come back and you would have the ordination. And if there was, let's say, three people that were a part of it, they would take three songbooks. And they would put a slip of paper in one of the songbooks and they would mix them up really, really, really well. And then they would set them in front of the three men and whoever got the songbook with the slip of paper in it is the one that the Lord had chose to be the next minister. That was how they did the choosing of lots. And um, I know that sounds really foreign to us, but that's how they did it. And there were people that had a call of God in their life that were ordained through that process. And then there was people that were ordained that never should have been. Mistakes were made. By using that process. But all that being said, so in gearing up for that morning of who are we going to vote for, we prayed, Jen and I, and we asked the Lord, what name should we give? Who should we? We were kneeling at our couch in our living room. Who should we say? What name should we give? And the Lord spoke to the both of us at the same time on the inside. It was, it was so clear that I, it almost, I thought maybe it was out here, you know, like in the natural realm. And I sat back from the couch, just as Jen did, and we're looking at each other, and I said, did you hear what I heard? She goes, well, did you hear what I heard? I'm like, well, you go first. You go first. <laughs> and I said, well, I heard that the Lord said, you're going to be ordained. She said, that's exactly what I heard. So, alright, here we go, Lord. So we, we go to the meeting, and uh, we give the vote, and through the process of giving the vote, I sensed, as well as Jen sensed, that no, it's not us. And so that evening, it wasn't me. We come back, and there was another brother ordained. Uh, there was two men in the lot, and one was ordained. And you know, he did have, does have a call of God on his life. But just a few short years later, he resigned and left the ministry entirely because of all the problems and all the things that were out of order in that body of people. It didn't have to happen that way. There was somebody saying, hey, it's, it, this isn't right. Let's not do this yet. But they didn't, they didn't listen to what the Lord was saying and they went ahead with it and then people got hurt because of it. But he did have a call of God on his life and now he is in, uh, in prison ministry and uh, he's doing the work of the Lord. 
I mean, he, after a period of several years of being out of it, he, he got back into the saddle, praise the Lord. But all that to be said, we came away from that going, what just happened? We both heard the Lord say, you're going to be ordained, but I wasn't ordained in that process. Maybe I don't know how to hear the Lord. Maybe, clearly we didn't hear right. But I mean, it was as sure as anything I'd ever been told. I mean, just prior to this, I've, I've been having all kinds of experiences with the Lord and the Lord telling me things. Like for example, I'm driving down the road and, and the Lord says, hey, pay attention, you, someone's about to pull out in front of you. And you know, three blocks later, I'm, because now I'm paying attention, I avoid an accident, someone pulls right out in front of me. I had all kinds of things like that happening that were undeniably the Spirit of the Lord helping and protecting me. And that same one, remember Jesus said, you'll know my voice. My sheep know my voice. That same one is the one who had told me you're going to be ordained. And we weren't. And what do I do with that? And so I just shut off. It's called shipwrecked faith. I just, I don't know. Back away from it all. I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know how to hear the Lord. And so for the next number of years, lived on a real roller coaster of, of highs with the Lord and then lows and I don't care. And back and forth and back and forth like that until our friend came to us and told us about the baptism of the Spirit, gave us word for it, gave us something to put our feet on, the solid ground. And all of that, you know, that vision that I'd had when I, when I first stepped into these things in 2003, the vision I'd had was this, and I'm going to tell it to you so that I can tell you the other part of it, is I was, I was sitting in my chair and I was leaning back in my chair and I was praying. And um, my eyes were closed, and it was in the evening. But suddenly, I'm like having a vision, and it's like the middle of the day. It's an overcast, cloudy sky, and I can see right through the roof of our house, up to the clouds, and the clouds pull back, and it's like I see right into heaven, or what represented heaven, okay? It was this huge castle-like building. And it had walls, and the wall, and then on top of the walls were like the castle just went up, and there was all these doors and windows and doors and windows everywhere. And I could see behind all the doors and windows were just piles and piles of treasure behind each one. And the thing that immediately arrested my attention was that the windows and the doors were closed. And so I said, Lord, why? Because I recognized that those were the blessings of heaven behind those windows. I said, Lord, why are the windows and doors closed? And he said to me, he said, because nobody's there to receive it. He was speaking to me and it was figurative because he's going to teach me something or show me something because there was some of you that were here on the earth experiencing the blessings of God at that moment, right? So there's people in the earth receiving the blessings. But for the sake of our conversation, he says, because nobody's there to receive it. And I said, well, I'm here. I'll receive it. And he says, yes, I know. He said, I want you to bring thousands of people to this place where I can bless them and use them and move through them. Oh man, that was overwhelming. And I, I begin to weep and, and I'm like, Lord, why can't I not just do my, this is my exact words, why can't I not just do my little hardwood flooring business? Because that's what I was doing at the time was this wood flooring business. And he said, your wood flooring business is fine, but that's not what I've called you to. I've called you to bring people to this place where I can bless them and I can use them and I can move through them. Okay, Lord. I submitted. I yielded. I said, what do you want me to do? How do I 
prepare and get ready. Or, I mean, what do you want me to do? That's what I said. What do you want me to do? And the Lord says, prepare and get ready. And the vision ends. Oh, well, how do I prepare and get ready? Well, I've been reading the Word. I've been hungry for the Lord. I'll just keep doing that. That's the only way I know to prepare and to be ready. And so that's what we continue to do. Now, a month, two, three months later is when this ordination thing happens. And I just shut off, right? Now, fast forward to 2009, beginning of 2009, when someone comes and explains to me the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I say, I want that. And so I pray, and I come home to my office that night when Jen's in the shower, I was telling you the story earlier, and I'm praying in tongues, and I have another vision. And this time, the Lord says to me, look up. And so I look up, and He goes, what do you see? I said, the ceiling. Because that's I was in my office, and there was a ceiling there. He said, that ceiling represents everything that you've allowed to come between you and I. I knew exactly what He was talking about. All those shipwrecked faith problems. Right? And because of shipwrecked faith choices I'd made that were wrong, that were deliberately wrong. I don't care. I'm just going to do my thing. Those kind of things. All there. Standing between He and I. He said, and I, I, I repented immediately. I'm like, forgive me, Lord. He says, I'm pulling those things back. And it was like as though the ceiling, if it would be made of sticks and branches, like all of a sudden the branches start removing and it becomes thinner and thinner until it's gone. It's removed. The Lord said, do you remember what I've called you to? Oh yes, I remember. That vision. That vision. But see, after I wasn't ordained, I'm like, okay, so it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been a minister. It couldn't have been that. Um, maybe it's something else. Where Maybe it's for business. I'm called to business to bring people to financially where they prosper and can, can you know, give into the kingdom. And maybe, you know, I had all these other things because it's not going to be a minister because I ain't going there. And he says, do you remember what I've called you to? I said, yes. He said, well, it's time. Well, that was in, in January of 2009. And um, by, by June, we were planning a church and I was ordained in July of 09. Isn't the Lord good? Yeah. In spite of all our mess-ups. In spite of having faith and then losing it. In spite of all of that, He didn't give up on me. And He didn't give up on you. He hasn't and He won't give up on you. So, we were talking about levels of faith. I hadn't intended on going into any of that, but the Lord wanted me to, so I did. You know, I tell the Lord before every sermon, Lord, this is Your time. It's not mine. I'll do whatever You want. I'm willing to be a fool for You, Lord. Not for Google, but for the Lord. So when He brings something to me, I just go with that, okay? So in, in measurable faith, there's no faith. There's weak faith. There is shipwrecked faith. Jesus referred to little faith and to great faith. Great faith. Um, Paul referred in Timothy to sincere faith. In Thessalonians to growing or increasing faith. Do you know your faith can increase? In Romans, he, he mentioned strong faith. In Corinthians, he talked about a spirit of faith. Remember I said faith is a spirit. Faith is spiritual is what I had said. It's spiritual. And then in Acts, Luke wrote about people being full of faith. James, he said something about being perfect, having perfect or mature faith, complete faith. And then John, in the book of 1 John, talked about overcoming faith. 
These are all different levels of faith. We're talking about why didn't it work? And we're talking about Jesus answered, He said, because of your little faith. Because of your unbelief. Here's some other things Jesus said to the disciples. And you don't have to turn here. I'm just going to go through these real fast. In Matthew 6, Jesus was speaking to the disciples because they were worried about their provision. And He said that... um, you know, grass, God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't He do much more for you, you of little faith? So is Jesus saying there's something like just little faith? Yes. To About the centurion, to those standing around Him, Jesus was amazed at His faith. You know, it's one of the few times that it says Jesus was amazed at something. But He was amazed at the centurion's faith who isn't even a Jew. He says, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. So he had great faith. So he mentions little faith, he mentions great faith. To the disciples again in, in Matthew 8, he asked them when, when the boat was about to sink and he was sleeping and they wake him up and like, save us, we're going to die. All these things. He, he said to them, why are you afraid? See, fear bankrupts our faith. And when I said you can have faith in your spirit and doubts in your head, because where, do, where does fear get presented to you normally? Up here. Right? Up here with thoughts. Yeah, but what if? Oh, did you notice that? Have you noticed the price of fuel? I mean, they're saying groceries are going to go up 22%. And if you start yielding to those things, I mean, I don't think anyone likes the price of fuel, right? Okay. <laughs> I was like, well, maybe you guys like this. I don't know. I don't. But I know that that's not my source. The price of fuel is not what determines how I live. Right? Or the price of groceries. Or the vilely high rent. Or high property prices. Or whatever it is. Right? Those things are not the determining factor. They're just simply in your circumstances. But if you have your faith on the source, we don't need to be afraid. So they're about to die, and he says, they think they're about to die at least, or not. But he says, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And he gets up and he rebukes the wind and sea, and there was a great calm. I like how the ISV says it. He says, why are you such cowards? implying, why aren't you rebuking the wind and waves? Why aren't you doing something about it? See, if he didn't expect that they could have done something about it, he wouldn't get up and and chide them for being afraid. Because that would be the right thing to do. Be afraid. You're about to die. But thank God I'm with you. Right? I'll calm the sea. That's not what he said. Boy, you boys are lucky you woke me up in time because you all about died. I mean, I would have swam and been fine, but y'all. But he didn't, did he? He gets up and he's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you afraid? Why is your faith little? In fact, this word, why are you afraid, this will yank the slack out of some of us, is the exact same word in, in Revelation 21 where it says, and the fearful, or it's the word cowards, And it goes down a list of things, people, actions that are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. The very first one mentioned is the fearful. It's this exact same word. Matthew 9, he said to the paralytic's friends, 
Remember they brought him to Jesus? It says, he, seeing their faith, he responded. So apparently he was able to even see their faith. Faith is something that can be seen. Later in chapter 9, to the woman with the issue of blood, that she'd had blood for 12 years, he tells her, have courage, daughter. Your faith has saved you. Your faith. Not my faith. Thank God you were able to make it through the crowd and touch my clothes. I mean, yeah, thank God that you did that, but your faith is the one who did it. Because Jesus didn't even know who it was. Like, hey, who, who was that? Right? So it wasn't that He was <clears throat> squeezing out a miracle to her. She laid a hold and took it by her faith. <laughs> you like that, huh? In Matthew 9 later, the two blind men that are following Him, He says, let it be done to you according to your faith. Your faith. In Matthew 14, when Peter went for that swim, or he walked and then swam, he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, there's little faith again. To, to the Canaanite woman that had the possessed daughter that came and asked for deliverance, he said, woman, your faith is great. Great faith. In, in chapter 16, this is all still in Matthew, things Jesus said. The disciples were worried about their next meal because they forgot to bring bread. And he says, you have little faith. Why are you talking about bread? Why are, you, why are you so focused on the problem? Why are you focusing on the high gas prices? Why are you focusing on the high rent? Why are you focusing on high grocery costs, on inflation? He's saying, this doesn't mean that you can't mention them and have conversation with them, but that shouldn't be our focus, right? Instead, he's saying, because they had just left the feeding of one of the times he fed thousands. They just left that. They're like, oh man, we should have brought some of those leftover bread along. Remember, there was baskets left over. Oh, we should have brought some of that. And he told us not to waste it. Now here we are out here in the sea without anything to eat. He says, you have little faith. What is he implying? That their faith would give them something to eat if they'll hook up with it. And then here in our text, in Matthew 17, he, he says, because of your unbelief or your little faith, again, he uses those words, and then he, he amplifies it. And he says, for truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So, tiny, tiny faith could do that. Could do. And then in Matthew 21, a couple chapters later, at the fig tree when it was withered, he made this statement, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell the mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Does that leave any other avenue for not other than believing? Is there any other reason a person might not receive? No, he just says, if you believe. And we know that you can't believe for something that's not God's will. Because faith comes by hearing what God's saying to you. Faith comes by having an ear to hear, what is the Lord telling me? We've got the promises, but sometimes we need to ask the Lord, what shall I do? In this circumstance. How do I address this circumstance? Because that becomes now the rhema word to you. 
See, the logos is the is the written promise, but the rhema is what God is saying. Brings it into the now. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Did you know the book of John mentions believing or faith, having faith, over 100 times in the book of John alone? So is faith important? Can faith make all the difference for everything that we face? Yes, absolutely. I mean, even if World War III and, and complete nuclear holocaust happens, our faith can make all the difference for you and your family. And for those around you. Our faith can make the difference. You know, faith is spiritual. I said this several times. Faith is of the spirit or of the heart. It's not of the head. You can know about things of your head, but if faith was of the head, the people that listen to thousand sermons, they'd have everything answered for them. Right? Because they have it in their head. No, but faith is of the heart. And sometimes, what does the Word says? Knowledge puffs up. Sometimes because we know so many things about faith and about what the Word says, we just get into problems with it. But he says that in John 6.63, says the Spirit is the one who gives life. Who gives life? The Spirit. The flesh doesn't help at all. Let me say it a different way. Your noggin doesn't help at all. It's, it's faith of the Spirit. And then he said, the, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The words I speak to you, they're spirit. Every word is filled, can be filled with either the spirit of faith or spirit of fear. The words I spoke to you are spirit and they're life. So why, did, why were the disciples not able to cast them out? Unbelief. Or a literal translation is, is little faith. Because of their little faith. If you have it up in the New King James yet, um, on, the, on the screen, Matthew 17. Put up Matthew 17, verse 21. Jesus had just said, if you have faith, nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Is he talking about the devil? Or the demon that had just been cast out? You know, I mean, the disciples tried and failed. And so the question they asked was, why couldn't we? Jesus didn't say, because you didn't fast and pray long enough. Had they been given all authority and all power? Yes, they had been given that. So no amounting and fasting and praying was going to get more authority or more power. They already had those things. Fasting and prayer wasn't going to help them get authority or power. So what's Jesus saying to them? What did He say their problem was? Unbelief. Or little faith. Little faith. The answer to that is now fasting and prayer. That's how unbelief gets driven out. Or little faith gets eliminated. is by the fasting and by the prayer. What does fasting and prayer do? Why, is, why does He say it this way? That this kind only goes out, that this kind of unbelief only goes out but by fasting and prayer. Does fasting and prayer somehow push you into God's good favor? No. No. It's not convincing Him of anything. It's you exercising authority over your own carnal flesh and putting yourself into the presence of God. And you become spirit aware. 
rather than problem aware and flesh aware. You become spirit aware. It's you humbling yourself. You know, your pride does not like to fast. Your pride doesn't like that. And if you'll start paying attention when it talks about prayer and fasting, often he'll also talk about humility. Let me ask a question this way. He said, the reason you couldn't do it is because of your unbelief. Now, they'd seen some pretty wild things already. They'd cast out devils. They had healed the sick. They'd done it. Right? They'd done it. But now here was one where they didn't do it. And he said the problem was their little faith. So how do we grow in faith? Hearing the Word. The living Word. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Spirit of faith, He's called. Right? And so if we have the living Word on the inside of us, Right? Faith is not a formula. The promise plus reciting it plus saying I believe it. You know, big talk doesn't equal big faith. I am not discouraging you from using your mouth to speak big things. I'm just saying big talk doesn't mean you have big faith. So, we look at this and we go, okay, so their reason that it didn't happen was their lack of faith. But notice he didn't, he didn't go, you know, you guys, how dare you? I mean, shame on you for failing in this case. I mean, what if I hadn't come along? He didn't shame them. There was no condemnation. He corrected them. He corrected them. And yet, how many times have we felt condemnation for something that we tried to stand in faith for and failed? And then there's that condemnation there going, yeah, see? Yeah, you. And as a minister, I face that probably more than you guys because how can I stand up and preach faith and say that this is how it works when you just it didn't work that way for you? So see, you're not doing something enough. You're not, you're not praying and fasting enough. How about that one? It's your quietness, Mennonite church. Trying to decide how to... Uh... Lord, how do you want to end this? Because I have way more than is going to fit in tonight. Let me ask. Uh, let me ask this question: Does everyone have faith? Yes. See some people weighing that. Okay. Okay, that's that's good. A good clarification. Does everyone have faith? You know, the answer is no. Not everyone has faith. But I'm going to give you several. End that one. Is that all right? Real faith is rare and it's precious. In fact, Peter called it more precious, more valuable than gold. Paul said this to the Thessalonican church in the Second Thessalonians in, in 3 verses 1 and 2. He asked them to pray that the Word would, would spread freely and rapidly. He says, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not all have faith. You know what you said. Not, not all have faith. Maybe, all, maybe the people that he was writing to did, but not everyone has faith. In Mark 4, Jesus said to them when He rebuked the wind and the waves when they were about to sink, He said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, they had no faith. So does everyone have faith? No. No, they didn't. Not in that moment. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul said, examine yourselves. He's talking to believers. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
All right, Romans 12.3. If you would, put that up on the screen. Romans 12.3. Some of you were thinking of this Scripture. When I ask, does everyone have faith? Yes, yes, everyone has faith. In Romans 12.3, and it doesn't matter the translation you put it up in, I say, through the grace given to me, Paul is writing this, to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so we use description, we say, well see, everyone has been given a measure of faith. Everyone has been given the measure of faith. Well, that's true, but just because they've been given the measure of faith don't mean they're operating and walking in it. It's been given, but whether you walk in it is an entirely different story. In fact, in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, 7, it says grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one. Does that mean everyone's walking in the grace of Christ? No. Grace has been given. Faith has been given. You have the ability to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. That's what was given to you. But it doesn't mean that you're walking in it or have laid hold of it. right? So not everyone has faith. We've all been given faith, though. The measure of faith. Paul later said, he said in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, don't receive God's grace in vain. So even though grace has been given to each one, you could actually receive it and then it be purposeless for you. Right? So faith is the same way. You could receive it, but it not do anything for you. So God has given us a measure of faith are we walking in it? So what is the answer to this? What is the fix to this issue of no faith or unbelief? What was the answer that He gave to them? How to deal with it? Someone shouted out. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. So feed your faith on the Word of God and pray and fast. If you find yourself with unbelief or with little faith, this is how you deal with it. Pray and fast. Get into the Word. Get into the presence of God. You know, we don't pray demons out. You can't pray demons out. You, you, don't, you don't fast a demon out. You cast them out. You cast them out. So praying and fasting doesn't give you authority. It doesn't give you power. But it does make you more aware of the presence and Spirit of the Lord God with you. And when you become more aware of Him, that you are in Him and He is in you, and when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and draw near to Him, He draws near to you. And then He moves through you. Listen, we do not pray and fast to come out with power. I'm going to do something for the Lord. No, that's that's sorcery. People try to go get powerful. Right? No, you and I, we simply position ourselves so that the Lord can move through us and use us and that He can reach people through us, His hands and feet in the earth. Did you know Jesus never took credit for one single miracle that He did? He never took credit for it. This happened. I did this miracle because I am the Son of God. Don't try this at home or you'll be disappointed. He didn't do that. He didn't take credit. In fact, he multiple times said, I can do nothing of myself. Of myself, I can do nothing. It's only as the Father 
tells me and shows me that He does those things. You can find that in John 8. You can find it in in John chapter 5, verses 19 and 30. He said it multiple times. I can do nothing on my own. In fact, Philippians, Philippians 2, talks about how that He emptied Himself. See, He didn't come and do these things as God. He came and did them as a man in faith with the anointing and the Spirit of God on Him in power and in authority the same way that you and I can. But He says He emptied Himself and laid aside all of that to become like a man. Yeah, I'm going to take the time. Let's go to Luke 4. and Luke 4. Let's look at something here. We're talking about the answer to unbelief. The answer to little faith. If we're not seeing the result we want to see, then we need to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. Get rooted and grounded into the Word of God. The rhema Word. What is God saying? right? And then be unshakable, unmovable. Standing upon the rock. So here in Luke 4, then in verse 1, then Jesus left the Jordan. Now, He'd just been baptized, right? In, in the Jordan. And the Lord looked at Him and, and spoke and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in a physical appearance like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are My beloved Son. With You I am well pleased. And thus began the ministry of Jesus. Well, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days He was tempted by the devil. So he is out there fasting and praying. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry, I'll bet. Forty days, eating nothing, you're going to be hungry. Now notice what happens. He's out there, he is putting his flesh under, and he is um, simply becoming very, very spirit aware. That's what's happening. He's drawing near to God and God's drawing near to him. Well, he is being tempted. And what does the devil tempt him with? The devil said to him in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He comes and attacks not only his identity as the Son of God, prove it. Prove it. Demonstrate it. Show us that this really works this way. Prove it. Did Jesus ever try to prove anything? No. 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 What did He say? I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only do what I see Him do. So He wasn't out there just deciding, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'll show them. I'm the Son of God. No. He only did what He saw the Father doing. Where did He see and hear these things that the Father did and said? In His intimate time with Him. Often it says he would withdraw and pray and fast. Becoming spirit aware. Becoming aware. Drawing near to the Father. The Father draws near to him and gives him direction. And then all Jesus had to do was go out and do what he said or heard. The Father do or say. How hard is that? It's not. See, we we divorce intimacy with God from being spirit-led with God. And we think that we can go through life and have this this relationship with Him that is on... It's not a strong and intimate relationship. But yet, we want all His leading and all His direction. And you tell me all the secret things, Lord, and lead me every place I should walk and step. But yet, we're not having the intimate time with Him. 
We're not being aware with Him. We have our mind clouded with everything that's on our gadget in our hand or on the screen or our work or whatever's going on, right? So if we want to be led by the Spirit of God and see miraculous results, what do we need to do? We need to be aware of what God wants to do. And how do we become aware of what He wants to do? By having that intimate time of fellowship with Him. Intimacy. You and Him. Hearing from Him. Listening to Him. So let's not separate that intimate, close relationship from being Spirit-led. Because they're connected. You know, this week I was... Each morning I, I get up and, and have a devotional time with the, the two boys and I. And we sit down and, and we discuss all kinds of things from men things to... Um, you know, we, we read in the Bible and it's, it's a time with the Lord and with each other. And so I was talking to them about have, spending time with God and how that relationship works and grows. And I used Steve Lavanisa as an example to my boys. I said, boys, do you know Steve? They said, yes. We know him. I said, well, do you know him as good as dad? As me? No. No. In, in that regard, they're more of his acquaintance, they said, than then they know Him, right? I said, so if someone came up and told you, you know, if someone came up and told them some, some rumors about Steve, they might be like, I don't know, that might be true, it might not be true, because they really don't know Steve very well. They see him every weekend in this room. Every weekend they come and they see God in this room. But then all week they go through the week and they don't have any conversations with Steve. They don't have any relationship with Steve. But they come back the next Saturday night and sure as shooting, Steve's as faithful as anyone here. He's always here. Right? And so people come in and, and they, oh yep, we experienced God again. And then they go home and have zero relationship with Him all week long. But then they come back and yet God's still there. But my boys and I, on the other hand, they live with me. They live in my house. They know how dad thinks. They know what dad wants. Oh, they like to test me and ask me, right? But they know what dad's likely going to say. You know, someone comes to them and says, yep, we saw your dad stealing a pack of socks from Walmart. We saw him. We, he took this pack of socks off the shelf, put it in his, in his bag, and then left and never paid for him. We saw him. My boys are going to... I said, what would you say? One of them said, oh... I would say, yeah, you didn't look right. Because you, you must have saw someone else. That wasn't my dad. Why? Because they know that dad ain't stealing a pack of socks. He's not going to steal anything, for that matter. But <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not socks, right? That's not in his character. That's not who he is. Dad wouldn't do that. Why? Because they know Dad. They spend time with Him. They have conversations with Him every day. They, they are with Him. We, we talk. They know how Dad thinks because they spend time with Dad. You're making the parallels in your own life, right? With, with you and the Lord. And spending time and you know how He thinks and, and your relationship with Him is not only on Saturday night in this room. Because if your relationship is only Saturday night on this room, it can only go so far. Right? My boys, they like Steve. They, they know who Steve is. They know Steve's family. And if Steve called them and said, hey, could you help me with something? Sure, they would go help him. 
But that's a completely different level of relationship seeing Him only on weekends than living with Him and beside Him. I don't know, Steve, if your ears were itching the other morning, but you were part of our our morning conversation. So here in Luke 4, He has just spent 40 days with with, with the Father. And so when the devil comes along and says, prove it, that you are the Son of God. And he just answers how? He answers with the Word. And he goes, no. No, it's written that man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he goes on and he says, he says uh, so the devil takes him up and he shows him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And, and he says, I'm going to give you all of this. All this splendor, all this authority. Because it was given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want. Which is all true, because Jesus didn't say, oh, that's a lie. You can't give. That doesn't belong to you. No, it was given to Him. He says, if you then will worship Me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered, it is only, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Shortcut. Offering Him shortcuts. These are some pretty big temptations for Jesus. They're so big that the Father saw fit to put them into the Bible for us to read about. Scripture says that He was tempted in all points like as we are. But if these had to be real temptations to Him, else they're not temptations at all. It's theater, right? If if Jesus couldn't have said yes and sinned and done it, then it was all theater. He had to be able to say yes. They were real temptations to Him. Because after all, here is my arch enemy. The problem causer in the entire world saying, if you are the Son of God, He knows I'm the Son of God. It'd be just real easy for your flesh to say, yeah, prove it. Because you have got the rights, you've got the authority, you've got it all. And then when He says, I'll give all these kingdoms to you, and give all this stuff to you, Jesus knows that's why I've come. To get all this restored back to the Father. So it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. And then, finally, He takes them up Stands him on top of the temple in Jerusalem. He says, if you are the Son of God, once again, I'm going to test him. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written in Psalms 91, He will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So now he's going to try to get him to do the wrong thing with Scripture. And Jesus answered and said, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. Again, he just quotes Scripture back to him. And after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. And then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. How did this power come to him? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, is what it says in Acts um, 10.38. Did you've heard of how God was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power? And how He went about delivering people who were demon-possessed and healing those who needed it. Right? And so, here Jesus is operating in, in the Spirit and in power. And the reason that He is operating in power is because He is doing what the Lord tells Him to do. Because He has opened His ear to hear and to see, Lord, what would You have me to do? And if you want to get 
to a place where you can clearly hear, clearly see, and get yourself and your pride and the things that you want out of the way, then spend some time fasting and praying. Not to get power, but to position yourself or put yourself into submission to God. Back over to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to close there. Mark? Yeah, Mark 9. This was our text where we had started. Alright, so we, we read all the way down through there about what happened. Then they'd ask the question, why couldn't we drive him out? He answers them. If you look down in verse 30 now, what came next? Let's, maybe we can get some more insight into the disciples and how they were thinking. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed... He will rise three days later. But they did not understand his statement and they were afraid to ask him. They've got more of the spirit of fear going on than they do the spirit of faith. right? They need some fasting and prayer to drive that out and get themselves over into faith. Well, they're afraid. In verse 33, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. Here they go again. I'm not telling them. What were you arguing about? They're just quiet. Because on the way, they had been arguing about with one another about who was the greatest. See, they're getting full of themselves. They'd been given authority and power to cast out devils and heal sickness, and they'd been going around doing that, and all of a sudden they come up against one that wouldn't go. Well, why wouldn't it go? Well, because of their little faith. What's bankrupting their faith? Well, they're kind of full of themselves apparently, and they got all this fear going on. And between between pride and fear, that's like a drain right out the bottom of the faith bucket. So, so root those things out. Well, how do we root them out? Well, let me ask you this: If you, the more time you spend with someone, the more you become like them. I mean, if if it's a willing relationship, at least. I notice that by myself. That when I spend time with some of my best friends and then I leave them, I will carry away mannerisms or some things that they do for a while. I'll do that too. Like I always notice when I go, when I go spend time with my brother Kurt Owen that when I leave him, I use my hands differently in talking to people for a while than I do normally. It's things he does, right? And so when I spend time with him, I start to become like him. My wife... Before she was my wife, she had horrible tastes in baseball teams and she liked the Cincinnati Reds. But as we, she started dating me and started spending time with me, she started becoming like me and like the St. Louis Cardinals. See, who you spend time with, you become like. So be careful who you spend time with. Needed to smile a little bit. So what's happening here is they, they're kind of full of themselves and they are... are have all this fear going on. Well, God is love. And perfect love drives out fear. So it drives out condemnation, we could say. And what happens when anytime we have failure in faith, usually the devil comes to condemn. Well, you're not this, or you're not that, or blame, 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 blame. And so we're going to stay out of that fear. We're going to get right back over into love. Because faith works by love. God is love. And perfect love casts out fear. 
And I don't know personally of a better way to do that in a concentrated form than to spend time with the Father and praying and fasting and time with Him. Just sitting and being still. You know, every year I go away at the beginning of the year for a couple days and I go hide in a hotel and I spend time with the Lord. And I get directions for the year, what we should do as a church, what we should do as a family for that year. And every time that I do it, I come away with this, among, amongst other things and good things, I always have this thought. I should do this oftener than once a year as far as concentrated several days, Lord and me, nobody else. I don't answer phone calls, you know, that. Because I always get revelation. See, instead of straining so hard to hear, Lord, what do you want and what do you want to do? When you draw near to Him, what's hard becomes easy because He tells you. You're in His presence. He reveals it. Now all you have to do is simple faith. Go out and do what He tells me to do. What do I do about this problem? What do that? Do this. Do that. Alright, I've gone on long enough. Why don't you stand with me? Worship team, you can come up. Please do not look at fasting and prayer as a way for you to become powerful in the Lord. It's not going to work that way because you're still full of yourself if that's your, if that's your motive. See fasting and prayer as you taking authority over your flesh and laying aside your wills, your wants, your desires for a concentrated time with the Lord. You know, Jesus said when you pray, not if you pray. He said when you fast, not if you fast. Everybody can pray and fast. Everybody. Everybody can pray and fast. That's what Jesus said. And so if you think, well, I can't. I didn't say you to do 40 days. Can you fast one meal? Jesus said you could. Right? Can everybody pray and fast? Yes, everybody can. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me that, well, I can't because of my blood sugar. I mean, other ministers. I can't because of this or I can't because of that. But then we go around wondering why we live a powerless life. Alright, I'm going to lead, lead you in a prayer. And um, we're going to... Any wrong beliefs that we've had for questions that we've asked the why questions. When we, when we failed in something and we've asked the why question. Why, Lord? Any wrong agreement or belief that we've carried out of that, we're going to lay that down. And we're going to ask the Lord to give us clarity and that He would teach us to be able to walk in full faith and not in tiny faith or in broken faith or weak faith or any of that stuff. Okay, can we do that? Alright, let's pray. Father, I present myself before You and I repent of any lie that I have believed in regards to who You are or to what Your will is. I break every wrong agreement that I have made when things did not go like I thought they should. I submit myself to You, Father. I give You permission to lead me, to direct me, to guide me, 
to speak to me, to reveal where I have believed wrongly. Be my teacher. Reveal truth to me. Help me to see it. Help me to walk in it. Help me where I've been in unbelief. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. So do you expect Him to help you? Yes. Yes. Expect expect the help. Expect a difference. Expect answers. And you should expect something else. That prompting of come away with me. That prompting of fast this for me. That prompting of come spend time with just me. You should expect that. And then don't just play it off. Don't make excuses. And say, you know, well, after I go bury my father, after I go do this, after I go do that, after I go get more oil for my lamp. No, if we want to see the miraculous, let's be instant in our obedience. Instant in our, in our submission and yielding to Him. We are going to take communion and um, we'll move that table over here into the middle. And uh, you can file up. Let's start in the back on both sides and let's go both sides at one time. File up to the middle. Go around the, the sides and back to your row. And then once everyone's come through, we'll take the uh, bread and the cup together. And, and today, as you do that, remember that God saw fit to give what was most valuable to Him to bring you in as His child. And that all the things of the kingdom, all the rights, all the privileges, all the good things because God is good, belong to you, the child of God. And that your past is under the blood and therefore does not exist. Your future is going to be led by the Spirit of God and is bright and glorious. Because the path of the just is bright and gets brighter and brighter like the shining of the noonday sun. So let's do it in a spirit of faith. Recognizing what the bread and cup mean to us. Um, if you cannot walk up the aisle or whatever, we'll make sure that we bring it to you. those oh you know what those times in a song are for the oh's are only for people who don't know how to sing in tongues <laughs> otherwise you just sing in tongues there at that point that's what I like to do sing in the spirit spirit aware I want to do something just a little bit different than the way we normally do it normally we take the bread first and then the cup because that's how Jesus served it, right? So normally we do it that way. But tonight I want to do something. Let's take the cup first. The cup is what is covenant for you. The bread is included in the covenant. The cup, there's someone, there's someone tonight that has struggled with the idea that your past has kept you from receiving. 
I want you to take this cup realizing that my past has been rewritten, has been rewritten with the blood of Jesus. So let's take it. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus, the blood of the covenant, Lord, that you made us your children, and we receive that right now, and on the blood of Jesus Christ, and by the name of Jesus, I cancel every assignment of the enemy, every spiritual, demonic, unclean spirit attack upon these people, I break it and finish it right now by the blood of Jesus. Father, these are yours. They belong to you. They've been given to you. So Father, we receive what you've given to us. We receive the broken body that you gave for our healing. We thank you, Lord, that you made a way for our bodies to be physically healed with spiritual substance. And we thank you for this. So if you need healing in your body, you take the bread and you lay hold of it by faith. If you have a family member in your family that needs healing, as a father, lay hands on them. As a mother, lay hands on them. Lay hands on yourself and just receive it by faith. Father, I thank you for your healing power present and active right now. And we just receive it. Go on, pray out over your own self, over your own body. Pray with your own mouth. We receive it, Lord. We are the healed of the Lord. Pancreas, you operate correctly. You function properly. Immune system, you respond correctly to the pancreas. Every cell in your body responds to the broken body of Jesus and be healed, be whole, be delivered in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. Father, I thank you for life and health in my body. I thank you, Lord, that you've made, given my body, you've renewed it, you've strengthened it, you've provided healing for it. And I just received from you full health, full strength. My youth is renewed like the eagle. With your help, Lord, I can leap over a wall. I can scale a mountain. I can run swiftly like the deer. I thank you, Father, for your, your, you quickening my body. You quickening my health. Be healed in Jesus' name. That's what he says. Be healed. So someone say, be it unto me. According to my faith. And I believe that all things are possible. To me, because I believe, He has given all things for our good. And I receive in Jesus' name. Let's worship Him. They're going to pass a bucket up the middle aisle and you can pass those cups into the middle. Father, we thank You. Thank You. Thank You for making us a part of Your church. For giving us a place. For seating us with You, Father. 
thank you for this. We bless you, we exalt you, and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to be shaped into your image more and more, to become like you, to be that church that you envisioned, the church that you saw into the future in, in 2022, Father, exactly how you imagined the church to be, that we would walk into the fullness of all that you have in your heart for this place, for this time, and for this season. Jesus, you said that the gates of hell will not prevail if you be lifted up. So we lift you up. We exalt you, Jesus. Father, I ask that you would stir within us as we're going, as we go to our place of work, as we go to our community around us, that you would stir in us that we lift you up and that we exalt you. to you that doesn't belong. It's not from you, it's from without. You are from above, that thought comes from beneath. When that happens, you take it captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, you give it no place in you, and then you lift up the name of Jesus. All right, And the gates of hell will not prevail against you or against your household. We have been made priests to God Most High. So walk in that priesthood. Walk in the authority that He has delegated to you. Establish your home as a place that is devil-free. They're not allowed to come. They're not allowed to be. Only the peace of God prevails in your house. And even if your spouse is an unbeliever and you say, yeah, but you know, I bind things and they come in and lose things. Listen, as a believer, you're the one with the authority. I'm not saying you tell them what to do. I'm saying that as a believer, you can lay down how it's going to be in the spirit realm in your home and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, sometimes when you have a negative experience, you end up with a shadow of that experience imprinted on you more than you realize. And any, I encourage you, any time that you go through an experience that was bad, maybe it didn't turn out the way you were believing for or whatever it was, that you come before the Lord with that and you ask Him to reveal to you any agreements that you've made with the enemy about the situation. Ask Him to show you where you have allowed agreements. Because see, this is belief is in the heart. And if you believe the wrong thing in the heart, you'll wind up with a disastrous result, right? So ask Him, reveal to me. He's more interested in you knowing than you are in knowing. So He's not holding out on you. See, when, I, when, I, when Jen and I prayed and the Lord said to us, you're going to be ordained, 
we weren't wise enough to ask the next question. And the next question is, when, Lord? I mean, because is it true? We were ordained. Here I stand. Ordained, right? But if we would have just said, Lord, when? And pressed in a little bit further, rather than the first thing we heard, jumping up and going, okay, that's how it's going to be. We would have saved ourselves from a whole lot of trouble. Because if we would have said, when, Lord? He'd have been like 2009. Oh, okay, Lord. So let's be wise. Let's be quick to bring things to the Lord. But let's not be so quick that as soon as we get something, we run off half cocked. Right? Seek wisdom from above and it will be yours. Someone say, it is mine. All right, bless you. Love on each other as you go. Make sure that you are checking with each other. Are you doing well? Is there some way that I can be a brother or sister to you? Jesus, you are our commander-in-chief. You go before us in battle. You are our master, our deliverer, our redeemer. By your obedience to your Father, through the shed blood of your blood on the cross, you made a way for whosoever would believe on you and the work that you did, the perfect sacrifice. They would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, our eyes are ever on you. King of kings, glory of glories. You're the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the way, the truth, and the life, the only one true God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We give this night to you. We thank you, Father, for the beautiful word that's going to go forth. Father, it's not in the Master. It's not in the Deliverer. It's not even in the word. It's in the hearts of those who are receiving it is whether or not we receive what you have for us tonight. So, Father, help us, each one of us, to, to, to break up any soil within our heart that is not soft enough to receive what you have for each one of us tonight. We know your presence is here, Holy Spirit, to deliver a word that may change our lives forever. So, Lord, we open our hearts to you. We say yes to you. Speak a word to sovereignly to each one of us tonight, Lord, and collectively as your body. Father, we thank you. We give this night to you. We honor you in it. We lift you up and magnify who you are. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of our lives, we give you all the praise and glory. You are worthy of it. In Jesus' mighty name. And the body of Christ, the family of God said yes and amen. Please turn to your neighbors, your family, and say, I'm so glad you're here tonight. Thanks for coming out. Well, good evening again, everyone. I'm glad you all found it important enough to come out, even though the weather was yucky. You know? 
Yeah. So put your expectation on the Lord meeting you here tonight, that you um, prioritize the word to that degree. Well, if you're here for the very first time, we'd like to give you a very warm welcome. But can you raise your hand so we can acknowledge you and see who you are? Anyone here for the very first time? Guess not. All right. Well, we're going to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand. And the ushers will see that you get one. If you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. And if you're giving... um, By check, you do not need one of those cards. We're going to do things a little bit different tonight. Yay. So um, I'm going to ask for a volunteer to pray over the offering at the end of this. But in the meantime, we are going to rejoice over the good things God has done in our lives. You know, the Israelites, if you read and study into the tithes and first fruits and offerings, they were supposed to bring their tithes and first fruits and remember what God had done, remember what he delivered them from, and rejoice in the good things that he's done for them and their families. So I am going to give you the mic. And you guys, this is how it's going to work. So as you, and I'm sure all of you want to, so I know that we can't go through everybody. <laughs> so I will have to, you know, we'll, we'll decide what that is, um, at that point. But we'll, as you come up and you just, it doesn't have to be a long testimony. It can be simply, you know what? I had a warm house to sleep in last night. And then we are going to respond with glory to God and clap and rejoice in the good thing that the Lord has done for our brother or sister. All right. So who's first? Several months ago, our daughter and son-in-law were here, um, telling you about their trip to a foreign country. I have to remember not to say where they're going. And anyway, just this week, they met their quota. So about two more weeks and they will be off. So I'm excited. I am excited because they met their quota. That means God has something wonderful for them. So we're excited about that. Glory to God. All right, while the next person's thinking about coming up, listen, if you can't come up, just raise your hand, I'll bring the mic. I'll tell you one for me. Just recently I realized my smeller got restored after not having it right for probably, well, I got a cold or something last April. And from that point forward, (laughs) from that point forward, um, (laughs) cologne, Air fresheners, laundry detergent, pretty much anything smelled like a bottle of bad breath. Sorry, you guys. (laughs) Because I'd come in here and be like, oh, my goodness. It's It's gone. I can smell. His cologne smells good again. (laughs) Yes, so I am really grateful for the good things God has done for me. He's given me a smeller. What are, what's something you are, yes, Elizabeth. So the other week I was in Louisiana visiting Jake and um, we were getting ready to fly home and they were like, we overbooked the flight, we need three volunteers to um, change their flight and we were like, oh yeah, sure, why not? And they were like, we'll give you some money for it and it ended up being a large sum of money and um, we realized that just so... 
Um, the three of us that were flying home, we each got the same amount. And Jake and I realized that that morning, it was the exact same amount, or sorry, the same amount that I received was the exact same amount that that morning he had just sewn into missions. And so that was really cool to see that return. He is so good. He's so faithful. So what has he done good for you? Anybody have something good to share? Levi. I could share plenty, but uh, I'll just say this very quick. So with the situation that's going on in, in Ukraine, Alex is in the States, so we have to figure out immigration stuff. Um, and so I decided I was going to call an immigration attorney in New York, and and they scheduled, a, this was on Tuesday, they scheduled a call for me on Thursday. They said, you need to pay $50, you know, for your half hour, right? And so I was like, yeah, that's fine, no problem. Uh, on Tuesday afternoon, I went to the courthouse to renew my carry permit, and and I found a $50, like a brand new $50 bill on the floor. <laughs> Glory to God. That you got it, sister. Who else? Anybody else want to rejoice and let the rest of us rejoice as we return the tithe? Because he's so good. He's so faithful to provide. Don't want to cut anyone off. Um, <clears throat> we've been in need um, financially and just yesterday, in fact, we sold a property and only one person came to, to look at it and it was awesome. Hallelujah. Glory to God. When we had the last uh, challenge for missions, uh, we made a commitment for higher than what we ever had before in addition to our tithe. And uh, just recently they came to me and said at work, uh, we want you to be part of our bonus program in our profit sharing. <laughs> Hallelujah! Isn't he so good? Faithful to perform his word. And the word works when we work it, when we act on it. Anyone else? Before I pick a volunteer, okay, to pray. Or maybe I have pick a volunteer? I don't know. Um, so... As many of you know, uh, my dad passed away uh, at the end of January, and I don't know how many of you know, that's an expensive process to go through with uh, funeral expenses and just all that, and so basically he passed away, and we were next of kin, so we were left with, you know, all this stuff, and um, I'm going to try and condense this as much as I can, and also there's some details, I think I said this when I shared a little bit before, I can't share, but um, I can still glorify God, so basically... Um, we were just like from the day that we found out that he passed, I had just said, I said, this is not going to be a burden on us um, and had just stood firm. We had people challenge us on that. Like, well, you know, there's other ways to do it. I said, no, like we believe that God is going to provide. And there was two options we had to go um, with funeral homes. One of them was uh, a cheap one up in um, Harrisburg for like you know, a couple couple thousand dollars, and then there was one that was like double that price that we went with um, because we had peace, but we were challenged with the cheaper one because, well, in the natural, it was cheaper, um, but then we decided, you know, okay, well, we had peace with the more expensive one, so we decided that one. The very next day after we called and we were like, we're going with this place, someone um, from my dad's past had called us and said, hey, here's a check for such and such money, and it paid for every single expense that we had. 100%. You want to pray? Oh. Go ahead. I'll have Kevin pray. I'll have Kevin pray. 
Uh, we, um, Millie and I are very, uh, my wife Kelly, her nickname is Millie, uh, for those who don't know that, wow, um, don't have two wives. Um, my wife and I are very, uh, very specific, or very, uh, I guess that's the word for it, on, on who we give to, um, based off what the Lord tells us to do. So there's some specific things that the Lord has uh, told us to do last year, and, um, you know, into this year too. So I, in the last five months, have gotten uh, three things that I should not have gotten. Uh, two raises, not one, but two insignificant raises, and I got a bonus, which we were not supposed to get. And on top of that, um, there's other blessings that have come in too. So God is just, God wants to pour out on every one of us. And he wants to bless us, not just to bless us, but to bless through us. Mm, amen. Go ahead and pray over the just pray over the tithe. Okay. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. First and foremost, uh, just like what Dave was saying, thank you so much for all that you've done for us, financially speaking, for our health. Uh, but because of what you've done through us, the tithe and, and offerings and first fruits, uh, Father God, we just thank you that you just pour that right back onto us. We thank you that we're able to, um, that we're obedient servants to be able to give right back out from what you've given to us, Lord. Father, we ask you to, um, well, I, don't, I almost prayed over the, uh, uh, the offering like I prayed over my food. <laughs> Uh, Father, I've never done this before. So, Father, I just we just bless this offering. We ask you that you would take it and you would do like the fish and the loaves in the name of Jesus, and that you would not just multiply it in us, but you multiply it all around us, Father God, to the poor, uh, to the to the missions offerings, Father God. There would just be a multiplication in this building, in this in CWI this year, 2022, all over the place in all our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Ushers, you can pass the baskets and the people will return the tithe to the Lord and be grateful. All right, um, before we get into the message, we are just going to mention something. I know that this is early to mention this because it is going to be in the bulletin multiple times, but go ahead and mark your calendars for Sunday, April 24th. Uh, Ghana Initiative is going to be having a live auction and high tea and you won't want to miss it. So plan on attending that and giving into that mission effort in Ghana. Also, if you're not a part of a home group, series, uh, our series is on Honor to Whom Honor, and I highly recommend it. If you're not able to attend uh, a home group, you can go online and listen to it uh, yourself, and I'm sure that the honor of God will grow in you. And as we honor the Lord, he honors us. Yes, Troy. In the back. Thank you for that. So as Troy mentioned, there's a sign-up sheet uh, in the back if you're going to attend because they're preparing food. So they do need to know who all is coming. All right, well, turn your faith on to receive and be praying for your pastor that it flows, that the word flows through him exactly the Lord wants him to. Amen. I believe it. Wasn't that awesome, hearing about the goodness of God? That just uh, is overwhelming, really. It's good when you sit and you, you cry and laugh at the same time. I remember as a child not understanding such a phenomenon. Because to me, tears only meant sadness, right? And uh, so praise the Lord.
Isn't he good? I want to take um, just a few moments before we get into the sermon and talk about some things that, um, some needs and things that we're believing God for. And um, we have, right now this week, Apostle Dale has put together uh, uh, what he's calling the Ten Men Project. I guess, is that the official name of it? Where's Levi? Over here. Okay. So um, he is gathering together ten men to go into um, Romania, and they're going to load up supplies with some pastors there and then take them into Ukraine. And so um, each man, each of those ten men, is raising $10,000 to be able to go and to um, provide them with everything from tourniquets to you name it, right? Whatever, whatever they're needing. And so, in this house, we have um, several that have committed to going. Can I see the hands of those who, who are in here that have committed to going? So, Levi, Aaron, Ray, and I don't see Jacob in here, but he's also committed to going. And so, um, and Eric, that's right. Eric is uh, also on the safety team tonight, so he's not, not in the room. <laughs> And so, um, what we want to do is just believe God with them for the funds to come in. Now, they may be leaving as soon as this coming week. And um, if any of you wanted to be a part of any one of those individuals, of course, as always, you can, you can give money uh, through Church of the Word and 100% of it goes to them and those efforts. The other thing that we are believing God for is Jane English has made a step of faith, and he stepped out into some things that the Lord has called him to in regards to Children's Rescue Initiative and traveling the world and and doing work with them. And so, of course, not only is traveling expensive, but while you're out traveling, you're not exactly earning an income either. And so, um, he's put his, his reliance on the Lord to meet those needs. And so, that's also a place that you can give monthly, because he's, he's looking for monthly partners, right? A one time is good too, but people that will commit to walk the journey with him um, in that way. So you can do that also through the church, and 100% of it will go to Gene. Just make sure that you, you memo it for him, and um, you can partner with him in that way. So for those, uh, for, for those that are going on the 10 men project that are in the room, why don't you stand up and... Um, and Gene, you as well. And let's just stretch out your hands to the one that's nearest you, and let's believe God for their needs, the finances to come in, and their needs to be met. Father, we thank You that You are all-powerful, and that nothing is too difficult for You. And I'm really grateful, Father, that $10,000 or $100,000 is not a significant amount to You and is an easy thing. So Father, we ask You, Lord, to, to put it on people's hearts to partner with these individuals and with Eric and with Jacob who are not in the room and, and with Apostle Dale who's not in the room and all the others that are going on that trip. And Father, those that are standing, that You would bring people alongside of them to walk the journey with them, to help finance them. I thank You for You providing just as You've promised. In the name of Jesus, every need is met. And Amen.